0: the Soil Talk podcast, I am your host, Tim Mundorf, nutrient management lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. Welcome back to Soil Talk. I'm Tim Mundorf, your host, along with Mick Godekin. Today we've got Dennis Ranke, our field sales agronomist from up in the Sioux City area, here to help us out a little bit as we talk about cover crops. I know a lot of our growers have experimented with cover crops over the years. Uh, A lot more of them have asked questions uh, of us about uh, going into cover cropping. And and we just wanna have a good discussion today about what some of the benefits are, what some of the reasons a, a grower might think about cover cropping might be, and what might some of their goals be as they look into and to starting a cover crop uh, program. So Dennis since you're the guest let's start with you a little bit. What's your experience been with working with growers and cover crops up in that uh, northeast Nebraska, northwest Iowa area?
1: Well Tim we've used uh, cover crops for several years here. I've been in this area since 2012 but before that I was out in the Ainsworth-Valentine- O'Neill area and uh, we didn't call it cover crops then we just did it because Uh, It served a couple purposes for the growers out that way and that uh, they could graze their cattle. A lot of, if you don't know the pastures out that way or more warm season grasses. So uh, the cattle needed someplace to go till those warm season grasses got started. And uh, the second thing is, as you get out there further West, the soil becomes a lot sandier and we would have issues with the sand blowing and after the corn was up, one or two leaves the wind would blow hard enough it would blow the sand across the field and the sand would basically sandblast the little corn
0: plants so yeah it's a little different out there in that Ainsworth O'Neill area you've got some real issues with wind erosion that uh, some of our wetter areas and heavier soils really don't have that problem but wind only blows in Nebraska when Mick and I get to talking I think is really the issue <laughs>
1: Well, you should, shouldn't be on opposite ends of the state. That way it wouldn't blow across the whole state. We face each
0: other. I think maybe it'll neutralize the whole thing.
1: So, it could happen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so cover crops have, you know, in my mind, play a huge role in uh, in the erosion part, whether it be wind or, or, or rain, you know, water erosion, but uh, economically-wise, uh, there's just so many, I think there's so many benefits as far as sequestering lost nutrients and, uh, you know, if you have livestock, what a great, uh, what a great avenue to, to put some of that in there. Um, of course, a lot of people have heard about the nutrient reduction act, uh, going down to the hypoxia zone in the Gulf of Mexico. And, uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these states, um, I-states, so I'll call them because I know Indiana and Illinois is involved also. Um, we're, we're doing everything we can from a state standpoint to try to show that we are, are reducing our nutrient footprint in that watershed area. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of advantages that way.
0: Sure. Let's go back to that uh, grazing and and forage. Have you worked with growers who've actually harvested the cover crop and put it up as hay for for cattle later? Or most of them were actually uh, putting the the cattle out on it and grazing it?
1: Well, well, it seems to be a geographical divide there. So in Nebraska, we never had anybody ever put it up. Um, They just grazed it off and then uh, killed it and planted into it. Here in Iowa, uh, we've got some some fairly large cattle feeders, um, and they seem to they seem to be to do well by letting the ride get to about that soft dough stage, um, just just past milk, soft dough. Um, they'll knock it down with a windrower, uh, let it sit for about 12 hours, and then they'll come in with a chopper and they'll chop it and put it in the silage pit, and uh, then they'll go in and and plant right into that stubble. Uh, some guys plant corn in there, some guys plant uh, soybeans in there, but if you kind of think about it, 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 it would, would work better over in this this eastern part of Nebraska and that western Iowa, just because of rainfall. We, we, we get rainfall in that, that O'Neill area, granted this year is an anomaly, last year was too with all the flooding, but typically you don't get enough rain out there that you can let that crop get all the way to that maturity and then harvest it.
0: Yeah, that that's a pretty mature crop. You're probably looking uh early June to get that uh that thing to kind of a dough stage or milk stage. Uh here in Iowa it seems like we're we're usually cutting that about
1: the week of Memorial Day. So yeah, yeah. you're you're not far off. Um, um and then, yeah, time they get it all, you know, cut, baled, ensiled, whatever, uh, they're not out there planting corn until the first, first week of June, uh, maybe the start of the second week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you know, that's going to take a lot of water going to that level, so it does make a lot of sense that would work more in east, and maybe a grower needs to think a little bit about whether they're going to let it go that long based on the amount of moisture they've received that winter and spring. Would that make sense, Dennis? Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, like, for example, this year, there, you know, there was, there was some pretty dry fields. They got some some corn and beans planted into them. Um, we we were, if you've seen the drought monitors sent out by uh, the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Association, I guess. I don't know what the other A is, but... Uh, yeah, the NOAA people. I don't know what it stands yeah, for. Yeah, the NOAA people. Right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, this, this part of Nebraska up here in the Sioux City area and then... Um, into Nebraska a little bit and then as you travel further east in that Denison Carroll area yeah there, there's we're in a we're in a considered to be an extreme drought where uh, we're, uh, we could use some rain and, and that what happened all spring we had we have several bottom fields along the river that the guys said they'd never planted in that good of field conditions ever and that was only because it was dry
2: yeah Dennis, you're talking about that drought, and earlier you mentioned the, the ability to sequester nutrients of, of the cover crops. And one of the things that we really need to think about in our geography this year is where we're having that drought, we've planned on a corn crop, we've, we've fertilized for that corn crop. We've got a lot, a lot of extra nitrates that we can sequester with that cover crop. And I think that's a very important thing that we need to think about in these in these uh, abnormally dry to drought stricken areas.
1: Oh, e- exactly, Mike. Um, you know, you you went out and and and, and um, I guess everybody you know everybody farms for 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 the opportunity for the optimism for the final yield. So, you know, we've we've put nitrogen out there to raise two hundred to two hundred and twenty five bushel corn, and um, for the most part, our corn around here doesn't look too bad. But I will tell you, in those drought areas, the corn, the the corn didn't have the moisture in order to put those nutrients in solution for the corn crop to use it. Well, we also haven't had any moisture to leach it, so it's still in that, still in that profile. And uh, a cover crop um, would be an excellent way to save some of that from being lost. Um, and of course, once you terminate that cover crop, all that nitrogen that's in the above ground uh, plant eventually, you know, comes back to you and released over time. So it's it's a, it's a way to, like you said, sequester those nutrients and recycle them. I guess is the word I want to use. Recycle those nutrients so that the following crop can 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 use
0: them. You know, you guys both bring up some really good points on how cover crops tie into your weather situation. So, depending on if you've got issues with, uh, you know, like you're talking about, Dennis, those bottoms that are traditionally wet, that's a great way to use something like, I'll just use cereal rye as an example, a great way to use cereal rye, which takes up a lot of water and a lot of nutrients, use it to dry out some of those areas, You know, if you've got kind of a wet spring, you can make a decision, hey, I'm gonna let this stuff go along, especially if you got cattle you can feed it to, and then uh you know, plant your cash crop a little later. Probably gonna take a little yield hit on your cash crop. I don't know a way around that if you're gonna push planting off till June first. But if you've got cattle and you can make use of the you know, the savings in your in your forages uh, that way, it makes a lot of sense. And then Mick, the backside Exact same thing. You got to look at what your weather's been leading up into that decision of, okay, how bad do I need a cover crop in this field to pull up that nitrogen that otherwise I'm going to lose, try to save a little bit of it for next year. And again, cereal rye is a great way to do that. Probably, you know, if you can fly it on, that'd be the best. But the challenge, of course, with that dry summer is the sucker isn't going to germinate because you don't have any moisture. Now, you know, we got a lot of growers that got to pivot and there's an opportunity to water it up. Um, So just a lot of thinking that needs to go into the the cover crop, similar to the way a grower thinks about his cash crop and trying to optimize yield with his cash crop. You're trying to optimize biomass with your cover crop without negatively impacting your cash crop. A lot that goes into this. Well, and
1: and to your point there, you mentioned about flying the cover crop on. That's predominantly what we do over here in Iowa. And uh, not that I'm trying to make any specific recommendations at this time, but We have had tremendous success flying cover crop on on standing corn, and and we've tried it on soybeans, and you would think that soybeans would be great, right? Because they're gonna start turning yellow here in 15, 20 days, the leaves are gonna fall off. But for whatever reason, and some of this goes back to the chemical program, which, you know, that goes back to the, the, the growers gotta think about this. We seem to struggle getting a good stand of cover crops in soybeans. And I really do think that it's a lot to do with the with the chemical program that we're using because as an agronomist, my first concern on the soybeans is to keep them weed free. So what do I do? I put overlapping residuals on. Well, if I use an acetochlor or metallochlor type product for that overlapping residual, what is it strong on? It's strong on grasses. So then all of a sudden, I'm not getting very good, you know, uh, stand establishment partly because of the chemical, but partly because the chemical is not being put on till the end of June, 1st of July, where corn, that Callisto, Lattice uh, type products that we use on our post spray, you know, those are put on uh, 15th, of June, 15th of May, uh, 10th of May, I mean, they're put on early, so you get a whole nother month of microbial and weather degradation of those chemicals. Right.
0: Well, yeah and we and we count on our corn shading things out a lot better than our soybeans so we're not really worried a lot about posts once you get to v8 and corn you're you know you're pretty much home free and like you said corn's a grass it's going to be easier to come behind corn with the grass that is going to be to come behind soybeans where a lot of chemistry is made to kill grasses so
1: well and you, you know maybe i'm uh, I don't know what, you're, what, you're, what, you're, what you wanted to talk to next, but uh, one of the things I really noticed about the cover crops is the, the fact that where we do get a, a, a cover crop established, our weed control is, is so much better for the following year. And uh, had lots of discussions with lots of growers. You know, one of their main concerns and it's very valid is how am I gonna terminate that cover crop? Well, knock on wood, I have not had any issues ever of terminating cover crop. Part of it is because they graze it, but part of it is we've been able to get out there and spray it with Roundup um, early. But just something for, I guess, whoever's listening to think about. Really, what does Mother Nature do when she sees a bare piece of dirt? She tries to grow something there. We consider it to be weeds because it's Mary's tail, or it's mustards, or it's uh, uh, downy brome, or any of those weeds that we don't like to see in the spring well, if you've got cover crop out there, Mother Nature's satisfied, and you don't have near the weed
0: pressure that you would if you were on a bare piece of dirt. Yeah, some of the best things I've seen is like uh, a cereal rye in front of a uh, soybean just does a really good job on winter annuals. Um, some of the tough ones, like mares' tail, that used to be a big problem for us. You know, we've got Roundup resistant mares' tail out there. Um, that cereal rye suppresses it and chokes it out. No problem. That problem's just gone away. No yeah, run. exactly. And and you know,
1: when you terminate it, those those fibrous roots of the rye seem to make a very mellow planting bed. The guys that do it have all commented, "Wow, that planted really easy." I just man, it was. I had to go back and adjust my gauge wheels because it was going in too deep. I mean, it just it's just something about that. Um, and then of course there's there's all kinds of mixes you can put out there. You know, the radishes and the turnips and the field peas and rape and
0: you know, I've had guys plant canola before. You know, with it, it's just just trying different things. You talk about that mellow seed ground, and, and Dennis, I agree with you. On a average or wet year, you get a dry year, and that sucker can be hard as a rock when that rains. Well, rain
1: and you no, know, again, I was pretty fortunate in that we uh, typically, like the last, I'm going to say the last five years, we have came into spring with a full moisture profile in our
0: soils, So, you know, that makes a big difference. Next year, you know, who knows what next year will bring, but. Seems like the guys who complain are the guys that it's a dry year and they kill it late. If, if you let it get over about a foot tall, it'll really pull a lot of water out of the soil. Now, you know, you mentioned guys cutting it for silage when it's, it's moved into, you know, grain fill stage. The nice thing about that, you're working with mother nature. You're literally Cutting it off as it's finishing its life cycle, very unlikely to come back. The, the guys are under problems, or guys are killing it, you know, midway through vegetative, and now it still really wants to come back and produce some seeds. So the herbicide either needs to kill it, or it's going to be a weed. Versus if right. you're wait until the end of its life cycle, it's done anyway. Yep. Yep. I've only run into problems killing it once, and it was uh, cold. We we're using glyphosate and sprayed it on a day that was kind of warm, but then it immediately cooled off and the glyphosate just didn't seem to work on it very well. Now, in our case, we waited till it warmed up again. So basically two weeks later, you know, we thought that the glyphosate completely failed. Two weeks later, it just killed it deader in a hammer when the thing started growing again. But up until that point, we were thinking we're gonna have to till it to kill it. So, which doesn't work very good. I'll tell you that. No,
1: exactly right, Tim. If you uh, if you've got a mass of growth that's knee high to, to mid thigh high out there and you try to disc it, it's basically the disc just rides on top of the ground. You you just never seem to get it, yeah. or to,
0: you it's know, just cut just it. Up. It just doesn't more. work. You know, you bring up a really good point, Dennis, in that herbicide program. And Mick, I know you've said the same thing. And some of, you know, our good friends on, on the herbicide side, you know, they're, they'll tell us, hey, we don't have labels for this stuff. That's one of our big challenges. You know, we're not labeled for you to uh, plant cereal rye in, in August and then graze it. We don't know what's going to end up in that. now. A lot of guys do okay with it, but you do, do want to be a little careful. And maybe, again, as you're thinking about your herbicide program, think through your cover crop program and make sure things are going to tie together fairly well. Think, think about your residuals. We love residuals to stop you know, some of our problem weeds like our, our water hemps, our and our palmers that continue to germinate all the way out till August. But if you're going to come up with a cover crop, you might need to back that program down a little bit. And I guess that's another key thing is, you know, this is a lot easier if you're starting with fields that are fairly clean than if you're starting with fields that are pretty dirty.
1: Well, I guess I'd just like to add in here that Um, cover crop isn't just kind of an off the hip kind of thing. It it should really be thought through um, when you're making plans in November, December, what you're going to do for the next year, really. I mean, I'm not saying you can't do cover crop because, you know, somebody comes out and you you try 40 acres, um, you know, there's cost share and that that makes it look attractive. a lot, of, a lot of the cost share programs, there's Equip, and there's different ones here in Iowa that I'm familiar with. Um, some of those actually paid more than it cost to put the cover crop on. So, you know, the guys are getting excited about that, but um, we've had to have those discussions about, okay, if we're gonna do this, um, you know, what have you put on for herbicide? When was it applied? You know, um, there's getting to be more information out there, but um, I can tell you that like the corn herbicides usually have a three month uh, plant back restriction for small grains. So if you did it in May and you go June, July, August, if, you, if you're if you planting in August, uh, there's a pretty good chance that it'll, it'll be okay. But again, if we get dry year, I have no idea. We, we've seen that with carryover and FOMO safe and into beans. You know, I put it on the right amount. I put it on before the 4th of July. How come I got carryover in my corn next year? Well, because you didn't get rain after you put it on for three weeks. And it just binds to the organic matter of the soil. Um, and it's there next year when you don't want it to be.
2: Well, that That's just proof, guys, that nature's always in charge. And we have to listen to her and adjust plans due to what Mother Nature's telling us.
0: Let's talk a little bit about some of the soil effects. You know, uh, Dennis, you talked a little bit about how mellow that ground can get after, you know, a few years of cover crop. And I've seen that same thing on some of our farms. Really does seem to help that, uh, especially that that surface compaction. And uh, again, as long as it doesn't really dry it out, Make things pretty good for the planter and and early plant establishment let's talk about you know what species do we look for as we try to break compaction issues at different depths
1: well i I'm going to talk from my experience, so um, you know the rice seems to have done the best job on that surface compaction. A lot of times we put turnips in because it has a high protein value, and the cattle seem to I mean that's like Halloween candy for a cow, I guess. I mean they just they'll have they'll have noses packed full of mud trying to dig them turnips out of the ground. So the turnips really don't do much for breaking that compaction. Um, radishes would be the ideal uh, species, I believe, to help break up some of that deeper compaction. Uh, and I'm not saying that they don't work. I'm just saying, in my experience, we get planted too late and we get cold weather too soon and I don't get enough size on them to really make a good action, um you know something to bust up that combat compaction that's, that's 8 or 10 inches deep um, the interesting thing that I've noticed is the guys that have continually put cover crop on year in and year out the compaction is a lot less because as long as we're not tilling it under and we're, we're basically no tilling into it Um, there's been lots of studies and there's more data coming out all the time by having that by having that high soil structure with all them all them root channels and everything that's in there you actually can drive across wetter soil and please don't think I'm advocating driving across wet soil but you can drive across wetter soil that has a cover crop or a you know, we've all done it. Well, it's kind of wet in the cornfield, but we can drive across the corn stalks and go spread some dry or we can go, you know, do a burn down because you have that you have that layer that mitigates that compaction layer and a you know, spreads our spreads our pounds per square foot out. Um but you know, radishes are good and when there's a couple of years that we had to do some prevent plants. So we actually went out there and we sowed radishes and oats and I mean, I got radishes that were as big as one of your Yeti travel cups, and they were probably, well, 18 inches long. You know, six inches of it was sticking out of the ground, but, you know, 12 inches was in the ground. So it really does help. But I just just in my experience in this part of the world, now if you talk about Kansas, you got a lot longer growing season. Southeast Nebraska, south, you know, down there, you got a lot longer growing season. Radishes might be the ticket. I mean, that's where your local – agronomist, your local expert really pays dividends because they know.
0: Yeah, it makes a big difference what species you're dealing with and it makes a big difference where you're at from a latitude standpoint. And of course, every year is different. I mean, to me, cereal rye has always kind of been that go-to because it's probably the one that even a, even a grower or an agronomist as stupid as I am can still make that one work. But some of these others get pretty tough when you get a smaller growing season. Mick, I know you got a comment to that one.
2: Well, uh, I I tried to bite my tongue, Tim, but uh, absolutely the latitude is is the key there, and uh, and stupidity on your part that's normal, so we kind of put up with that. But uh, you know, if we think about these crops and and where we're at locally, it's a lot easier to to make those recommendations. I Honestly, would rather make a recommendation in central Central Nebraska than I would in Northeast Nebraska because I that's where I live and, and I understand the the microclimate that we live in, and you know we need to understand where we're, where we're at, what can happen, what can't happen, and uh, getting that right blend. I would agree that the. the The radishes, they're great if you can get them in and have enough growing time to get them to grow. Uh, But it's pretty difficult if we're trying to follow a a corner soybean crop to get enough growth to make them worth putting in in a lot of our environments.
0: Well, guys, we're uh, about 20 minutes in, and Bree's giving me all kinds of hand signals and private messages, and I I think I might have just saw the middle finger come from her. So I I think we might need to – Go ahead and stop and we'll uh, carry this one over into uh, another recording. So uh, let's uh, stop there, but let our listeners know that uh, if they want to tune in next time, we'll have part two of our cover crop with uh, Dennis Ranke and Mick Godekin. So with uh, this group, I'm Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead for CVA. Thanks for listening.
2: Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our Agronomy Focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.